Welcome to the Physiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we are with our resident physiologist, Michael, and Andrew Johnson, uh, associate pastor from Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and I am Matt Till, lead pastor of Restoration Church in the Chicago suburbs. Hey guys, it is so good to be with you again today and this week. Um, you know, I was just listening back to a few of our previous episodes and holy cow, man, I am just like, I'm jazzed about what we have been talking about. And it's so good for me even to go back and remind myself of all the things that we've been talking about and to hear um, Andrew's probing questions uh, is always like bringing us back to center. Michael, you pontificate on these things so well. Um, I'm still jazzed about even Devlin being on the podcast. And uh, man, I just, how have you guys have you been going back and listening to some of the things that we've been talking about? I've been hearing good reviews too from some others as well. well that's always encouraging to hear. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, if we're in the midst of editing the book on this. And so I've, I've had the opportunity to go back and read through uh, most of it. I have two more chapters to go, but um, it has been encouraging. I, you know, there's a sense that, we might be thinking correctly about what that New Testament movement looked like and uh, getting excited about the principles and the application of it. And I'm, I'm jazzed to know uh, that we're seeing folks uh, begin to apply some of these and, you know, bringing on a guy like Devlin who is just sold out on wanting to, to do a movement and then others in Chicago and Houston and, other places. And so that, that's been a lot of fun uh, to see. I have a, a sense that, you know, the Lord might be doing something at a grassroots level and that's where we want this to be. I mean, that's what it was. Um, yeah. Something that was not in anybody's control, but his. And, and that's such a wonderful thing to keep in mind that, you know, um, that Jesus is the head of the church, not Michael, Andrew, Matt, not any organization, uh, we do these things uh, as as a privilege, really, uh, for His glory, and uh, that's that's exciting. It's encouraging. I'm getting feedback. Uh, my friend Montana is listening in Austin. His name is Montana. He lives in Austin. That's awesome. And uh, anyway, he was saying that he really appreciated uh, the podcast we posted most recently to this recording on on God's will. And he was like, it was super encouraging, and um, it was a, it was a good uh, refresher, as well as the thought of uh, God has one unifying will, and there are not many different wills. And he said he just hadn't stopped to think about that, and it was a really mm. good, encouraging time for him to kind of look again at that scripture and say, "Man, this is what God's about, and this is good." So. So feedback being people are listening, people are letting us know, and we are very encouraged. So thank you, Montana and others for the feedback. Yeah, thank you. And uh, man, we're just, again, like even myself, I find like it's so easy to forget these things sometimes. And we're, we're as we dive into these uh, ideas and these topics and the scriptures even more so, and we keep studying the movement, um, we keep, I just keep reminding myself like, wow, this is a, this is a true paradigm shift 
we're truly seeing a paradigm shift take place. And we see people are, are not only getting a hold of this idea and concept, but even we ourselves are being shaped by it. And I just keep finding myself, man, I need a constant reminder of this. Because as you come out of an existing paradigm and you shift into the new paradigm, uh, it you realize it has so many different parts and components to it, um, and uh, and so there's this constant uh, change that's got to take place as it affects all the other areas of life and ministry, and as we uh, continue and even in our gospel proclamation. And so, um, yeah, so I just want to say thanks, guys. This has been so much fun, and I, I'm just so grateful that we get to continue these conversations and that other people are joining us in doing theology in community together with us. Oh, and that is so critical, and that's what our heart is. is that we want this to be a community effort, not not just our effort, but we mm-hmm. want other people to speak into this. And Matt, you, I think, very appropriately define this as a, a paradigm shift. And one of my concerns is that, and I've raised this with you guys in a in a text, is that we might be looked at as trying to deconstruct uh, scripture. You know, we're not postmodernists. Uh, in, in that way, we're not deconstructionists. We're not interested in ripping apart or being contrarian to the things that we see. What what really is motivating us, I think, I, I mean, I feel this, this is my heart, and I know your hearts too, is God's glorification. And, uh, and to best do that, we have to understand what it was that was going on, what he was doing that compelled um, that early church to grow like it did. And, um, and, and so we're, our, I mean, we genuinely are searching Scripture and uh, holding nothing sacred um, and not necessarily challenging everything, but as a result of us digging into the texts, there are um, obvious challenges and hurdles that we have to overcome that I think emerge because of how we've tended to interpret scripture from our own cultural lenses. And I think too, one of the things I didn't get back to you guys in our, in our, some of our messaging back and forth on that topic, but something I had thought about was, you know, we oftentimes look at fences or hedges and um, we just assume it's there for a reason, but then we have to ask ourselves, why is it there? Because it has been put there for a reason. Um, maybe it, it was a good reason initially, but maybe it's no longer necessary. Or maybe we placed it in the wrong spot, um, you know. And we're looking at just all those boundaries and looking at all those hedges and looking at all those things by saying, "Yeah, like what? What is this here?" Because I think it helps us expose the existing paradigm. Because otherwise, you just get comfortable. This is my yard. This is the yard I play in, and this is all I know, you know. And uh, I've never left the yard. <laughs> and we're not talking about leaving the faith. We're not talking about leaving, you know, some of the core doctrines of the faith, but we're just simply asking ourselves, are we caught in a little corner here that we haven't fully explored? And let's just, let's, let's open that up a little bit. Let's open up the gate and walk through it and see what's on the other side there. Maybe there's some things that we've left out that we should have been bringing back in, or perhaps we need to be rethinking about this paradigm. Um, and, and where do we go in terms of how do we continue to serve God's will and be a part of his will? Um, and Man, Matt, like exactly what you're saying. I think that's that last thought you just said about what God's will is and then chasing after that and being of that single focus and determination. That's what we want to be about. And so again, it's not just let's let's question the hedges. Let's look at the things that are there. Let's get outside the yard. This is not a jaunt for the sake of having a walkabout. Like that's not that's not the aim. We want to say, 
let us chase after God's will. We have that, that single unifying focus uh, that he has called us to in Ephesians 1.10, uniting all things according to his will. So we want to be about that. And so if it happens to be something that looks contrary to the paradigm that we find ourselves in, so be it. But that wasn't the aim. The aim was not to be countercultural. The aim was not to tear down structures, to deconstruct everything that's around us and say, let's just poke it and see why it moves this way or that. No, it's, it's just, okay, let's just chase after God as he has set us to do. Let's be about what he is about. And uh, let's chase after him in the ways that he set forth as we are kind of investigating through a physiology. Mm, that's so good, bro. And I think that's a great transition too, because these, uh, this kind of movement, uh, required leaders and this kind of movement required leadership and a particular type of leadership. As we saw in Ephesus, uh, we've talked a lot about Paul because Paul is, uh, the great, uh, missionary who, uh, brought the gospel, uh, to Ephesus and uh, the Gentiles, but uh, he was also one of the key leaders. Um, but we know that it wasn't just him alone. He had a team. There were other leaders uh, involved in this. And I think uh, as we continue to go down and what does it look like to ground a movement, what are we grounding the movement in? One of those key areas is in fact leadership. Um, and so Michael, take us, like where, where are we at here when we come and we start talking about leadership and the type of leadership required for such a movement. But, well, boy, talk about a paradigm shift that, it, that would occur um, in our contemporary leadership models. Um, I, I think that could be the result of, of this conversation um, because leadership, as we see in the church in Ephesus, really, to be honest, um, I don't know that I see that in, in um, our current uh, ecclesiastical structures. And so again, I, you know, I, I just want to keep reminding ourselves that we, we are genuinely trying to make an authentic, honest, uh, exploration, like the, the word that you used, Andrew, of scripture. And we have to go where scripture takes us. And as mm -hmm. I've been looking at and asking this question, then what kind of a leader or what kind of leaders actually will propel a movement forward, um, it, it was enlightening and it has been enlightening. And in one sense, it's really been liberating because I think the leadership that we see coming out of Ephesus and, and beginning with the Apostle Paul is a leadership that is non-hierarchical, that understands first and foremost that there is one head of the church there aren't multiple denominations. There aren't multiple organizations that are doing this. It is Christ who alone is the one who said that I will build my church. It, it, he's the one doing it. It is his and it is the church. Um, and these guys understood that. They, they weren't in it for themselves. Uh, the, there was no gain for them because they had given everything already to Christ. And they were calling themselves as well as uh, the disciples to a sacrificial life uh, that was modeled by what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as beloved children. It, live a life sacrificially like Jesus did. And, uh, and that, was, that was where they were. And that was how they led uh, the church to what it became.
why do you feel it is so important for us to focus on the non-hierarchical structure that you see in leadership in Ephesians 4? Yeah, I think, you know what, we, we have so many models of uh, leadership. And when I was working on my uh, master's degree, my focus was on leadership and trying to understand how to uh, um, contextualize it in different uh, cultures. And, uh, and so, I, I mean, I went about this in the typical Western way. Uh, that, that, you know, we look at personalities and we look at characteristics of leaders um, and then we lift these people up as being the model uh, for that leader and then we all follow that person. And, um, and, and we've been on that. I mean, that's what, you know, our leadership development material was focused on. That's what uh, oftentimes, even in in uh, our Christian organizations, we focus on personality types. Um, you guys have talked about the enneagram and uh, th- those types of things, and and we're looking for yeah, Matt's Matt's a one. Uh, we're looking for the the right kind of person to follow, and um, I, I, and I don't see that in scripture now and here's the thing is that we often will talk about the apostle paul and we'll hold him up as the leader that we're to follow and after all he does say in first corinthians 11 1 follow me as i follow christ but but we misunderstand paul if we think of him as the quintessential leader as we think of in the in the West, um, oftentimes, and I can remember, you know, sitting in a in a doctoral class once, and a professor saying, you know, we know we should no longer talk about the Apostle Paul. And I thought, wow, that is really a remarkable statement to make. And but behind that was that we have defined Paul as this rugged individualist, this kind of lone ranger cowboy out on the forefront, the, the tip of the spear uh, leader who is championing the cause of Christ and calling others to follow him as he follows Christ. Well, I don't think that was Paul. I, I honestly don't. I think Paul was this person that, and um, I think we talked about this in a podcast, that was people-driven. He was focused on people, and he his focus on those people was in such a way that he was joining with them together in in uh, providing leadership for uh, making and maturing disciples. And we see this over and over again. I mean, uh, of course, his relationship with Timothy was characterized with this by this, as we see in Second Timothy, that he tells Timothy, you know, join, we're joined together in this suffering thing. Uh, you're not alone. But I'm in this with you. Um, Romans 16 is another one of those places where we go to and we see that Paul's talking about his fellow workers, his uh, fellow servants, and, uh, and so on. And so in Paul's mind, he's not looking at himself as the primary leader. He is looking at himself as one among uh, many who, uh, God is, uh, who God has gifted to equip the saints for works of ministry. Well, you know that that funny phrase, um, uh, Vic, oh, shoot, I'm going to ruin the phrase. Uh, essentially, those who win write history. Um, 
you know, to the victors, they get to say what happened. And in a right, to the victors go the spoils. Yeah. Mm. But it's if, if the victors in this case, we know about Paul because Paul wrote and God spoke through Paul. That was his intention. But I don't think God's intention nor Paul's intention was to be like, okay, now this guy, this is the epitome of all things. But you look throughout Acts, just as you talked about uh, in Romans uh, with Timothy, I would think almost all of Paul's letters. I mean, they finish with this, this, his shout out list. You know, these are my people. This is my crew. We came in and we did ministry in this area. Paul was always a, a we. It was just always with others doing ministry. Yeah, absolutely. And to walk away and think that he is the primary, uh, the, the prima donna that we need to follow after and, and do what he does. <laughs> that was never his intention, nor was it God's. Yeah, I mm. think we've we've created Paul in our image uh, to, to a large extent. And Ooh. Andrew, you you bring up uh, and rightly the number of epistles that Paul authors. So he he authors thirteen of them. But here it, it is so important for us to remember that seven of them were co-authored with the guys that he was working with, Timothy, Sosthenes, uh, Silas. And uh, that, that is so significant because Paul was doing theology and community. It wasn't him theologizing and pontificating by himself, but he is working with the guys that he's been discipling um, to do theology together. And, and we have to remember that um, because otherwise we, we do set Paul up with this kind of uh, idealistic uh, individualism that we see in Western leadership models. I, uh, you know, I was just recently was in, uh, have been reading first uh, and second Corinthians and I was in second Corinthians 11 and here's Paul talking about all that in which he has endured. Right. And he's like, listen, here's what I have gone through, but I'm not even going to boast about that because this is about God's glory and serving and ministering to you. But he goes on to say, like, I mean, I have been imprisoned. I have been whipped with rods. I have been beaten multiple times, lashed with, uh, uh, from my, uh, from uh, Jewish captors or, you know, from the, uh, 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 yeah, from the Jews, 40 lashes, less one, uh, three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He spent 24 hours adrift at sea. I mean, like he just goes on and on. And I go, if Paul is, and, and I have to admit, like oftentimes we have I, 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 your, your statement, Michael, about how we have made Paul in our image, like, oh man, holy cow, guilty as charged. Because we often look at him and go, look at this amazing leader, somebody who is taking the gospel to the, to, to the vast unknowns and doing all of these things. And I think to myself, if this is the standard to how God's leadership is to work, then none of us are qualified or most will not be. And most would never even do it. I mean, if, if this is the standard to how Paul, like looking at what he has endured, but I think there's something to be said though about the expectation for suffering in our leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Paul, I mean, you think about that Second Corinthians 11 passage, uh, that certainly Paul wasn't by himself when those things were going on. I mean, we, we know in Thessalonica, it's not mm-hmm. him only that's beaten, but and in Philippi, he's not the only one that's thrown in jail. And so he, he's doing this uh, with the guys and gals that he's working with. Um, and, and I think that gives him, you know, this level of street cred 
uh, to call people, you know, follow me like I'm following Christ. But you know what? We are in this together. I, I'm not just sending you out there by yourselves. I am walking alongside of you. I am joining with you in this suffering. Uh, because what it is that we are doing is, has, is of such magnitude that it demands us to do it together not as individuals. Otherwise, we'll just fall on our faces. And I mean, you just look throughout uh, Western evangelicalism and you can go down mm. a list of names of people that have been out in the front who have done this on their own, who have shunned any sort of accountability and have fallen uh, at, from great heights hmm. into moral failure, financial failure. Uh, I mean, you just go down the list and, and name it. So you're saying Paul doesn't just necessarily give um, and not always, uh, but actually he received from those with him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's encouraged uh, by them. Uh, he's ministered to, I mean, you think of his uh, letter to the Philippians uh, and how um, uh, what's his name who comes to him uh, is, is ministering to him. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is in this uh, sold out uh, to being in community and leading uh, from community. The image we project of that of Paul in the New Testament is that he was a persecutor of the Christians of the way. He has a, a radical encounter with the living God in Jesus Christ. He goes blind. He's now ministered to. Um, and then he receives the message from Jesus and says, you are now going to go to the Gentiles. So now we have this image of a, a persecutor, hater, sinner, right? Who now is restored into good favor with, with the Lord. And in Christ says, you are now my messenger, go. So now we feel like he's got this divine um, instruction, these divine um uh, manuscripts, you know, if you will. Um, and, and now he is to go and that is his call. And there's nothing now at this point that Paul doesn't need other than the fact that he is, he's been given a mission and he knows what he needs to know. And now he goes out and he proclaims it to everywhere, no matter what the cost is. That's the image I feel like we've constructed. How is the image, how is that different than what you've seen in the New well, Testament. Well, I, I mean, it goes back to what you just said. Um, and again, this is a part of the image that we've built uh, for the Apostle Paul. You, you had said that he gets this message from Jesus to go and, and share the gospel with the Gentiles. Well, you know what? He never got that message. Uh, th that is something that we've put on Paul. He, he, is, he uh, is never called the Apostle to the Gentiles. He goes to the Gentiles but Jesus's call to Paul was that you will be a witness. And, and he affirms this with Agabus that in this prophecy, this is somebody who is going to stand before the kings, who is going to take the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul later in his uh, trials uh, in the latter part of the book of Acts reaffirms that same message that Jesus had given him, that he is to take the gospel to the Jews, the Gentiles, and to the rulers. And, uh, and so that's our first uh, misunderstanding, I think, of the Apostle Paul, because we put him up as this person who has this unique calling mm -hmm. to go to a special place, that, wherever that place is for the Gentiles, and that is what he's to do. And I think what that does is it puts Paul in this kind of elitist position that he never 
he never felt like he was a part of. I mean, right in First Timothy, he's the chief of sinners. It's still something that is a tremendous burden to him. Um, and so, and so we've, we've placed Paul on a pedestal that he did not want to be upon. Um, and at the same time, what it, if we understand Paul and the calling that he received from Christ as going to the Jews and the Gentiles and the kings and the rulers, then in Paul's mind, that was exactly what he was calling people to do. They were called to the same thing. And so we are all together on this mission of uniting everything in Christ. Paul uh, is not unique in this, but if we are disciples, just like Paul, if we, if we have had this personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ on our road to Damascus, wherever that would be, mine was in a Mighty Burger restaurant in Houston, Texas, um, then, then I am called to take the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles and the kings and the rulers, everybody in my sphere, wherever that would be, that is where uh, I am called to take the gospel. Do you feel like um, that right here is one of our fundamental um, reworkings of the paradigm for leadership happens right here where we realize that Paul was still a bit of a work in progress that Paul was still one who received a call, was to go forth with the gospel, even in his imperfection, and yet required and needed and leaned on other brothers and sisters of the faith in Jesus to do and to for him to lead, is this could be very well one of our first fundamental places of the paradigm shift? I, I, I think so. I, I mean, you know, the same Holy Spirit that indwelled the Apostle Paul and dwells the believer today. And absolutely, God did just extraordinary things through, through the Apostle Paul. I mean, there's no doubt whatsoever. But at the same time, it, wasn't it Jesus who said that when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, you are going to do these extraordinary things? And, mm. and that in reference to even us that greater works will we do than what he did. And, um, and, and so I think the danger with, you know, putting the Apostle Paul up on this elitist pedestal isn't, um, again, I don't want to, I am not diminishing at all what the Lord did through the Apostle Paul or who he was. But when we put him up on, an, a, on a pedestal like uh, sometimes we do, then we have an excuse to not be like him. You know, well, that was the Apostle Paul. He was unique. God, you know, worked in him in a special mm. way to do the things that he did that he obviously isn't going to do through us today. Well, no, that's, that's, not, that's not how the Holy Spirit uh, rolls, as I think Andrew would probably say. He, he doesn't right. do that. Um, he works in all of us. And that's not to say then that, you know, what I do is going to be at the level of inspiration or, you know, revelation, divine revelation or any of that. I, I'm not saying that. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that Paul was a human being like you and I. And, um, and like you said, Matt, he led out of who he was in his uh, strengths as well as in his weaknesses. 
and he was aware of those things, uh, acutely aware of those things, as we see in Romans uh, 6 and 7. He wrestled with those things. First Timothy uh, chapter 1, he, he, he felt himself to be the chief of sinners. And so he's leading out of a position of weakness, uh, of insecurity. And, uh, and the only way then that he can uh, lead is to be completely and utterly surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems like too that this is a bit human nature like where we kind of get ourselves into a place where we put people up on pedestals, um, where we like to just kind of offer up this individual as being better than us, greater than us, um, more knowledgeable than us. And I think there, there clearly are. Everybody brings a gift, a talent, a skill, a knowledge to the table in the church context, out of the church context. Um, I had a recent experience uh, the, about a week ago where there's a gentleman in the community who attends another church in the area who I interact with on a regular basis. Um, and uh, he was uh, telling me, or he, he was asking me about this class I happen to be teaching at uh, one of the local uh, co- Christian colleges. And anyway, the conversation went something along the lines of where basically we got to this place where he was kind of a bit enamored with pastors who preach and all the knowledge that they have of the Bible. And he, in that conversation, he didn't quite tell me, but he was, he was stating it like, there's just no way I could ever do anything like that. There's no way that I could ever know as much as these people know. And he was asking me like, don't, don't these, don't these seminarians, these young seminarians that when they get out of there and get their masters, don't they come out just knowing everything there needs to know about the Bible. And then they just tell us everything about it. And, and, and I said, actually, it's the beginning of knowing that they don't know anything at all. I would say half the time they come out as complete arrogant swear words. Yeah. <laughs> who think they know a lot and way more than other people. And then it takes uh, what another five, 10, 20 more years of humility being pounded in, reminded that you don't know what you think you know. And uh, just because you studied that paradigm and just because you heard from a professor, this is how ministry looks. Only when you try it, you find, in fact, that is not how ministry looks. And uh, you actually still need to depend on the Holy Spirit, no matter what your degree or the paper on the wall says. End of rant. Yeah, I, think well, I, it, I think I just touched on something with Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and alongside of that, Andrew, it's it's not just, you know, what I think I know, but I think it's the lack of doing this in a community, you know, where we can wrestle through these things together uh, because we don't know. And I, I mean, we're learning that the three of us and those who are uh, following along with us, we're learning that, I mean, there's a ton that we have not known or maybe we've misunderstood. Um, and the only way that we have... Uh, are, are coming to understand this is because we're trying to work it out in community and that that's so important for leaders. Well, um, and that was the point that actually I was going to kind of make and, and thank you for making it for me, Michael, because that's exactly what I was, I was thinking about is it seems um, this was really theology and community. This was leadership in community. There was not this ideal senior pastor, lead pastor, um, you know, the hierarchy that seemed to fully exist in the New Testament, but rather we happen to see uh, there were, there, there were layers, there, there was just kind of like, there was a diversification of the leadership that, that Paul was talking about. Um, and so it seems as if uh, it was a team effort. Um, and it wasn't just this one particular head or individual that seemed to disseminate all the information. 
And I think that uh, we have, we find ourselves when we're biased in that direction where we have CEOs, we have professors, we have lead teachers or pastors, we have experts in fields. We just find we, our biases just get thrown into the, when we read, when we're looking at the scriptures by saying, oh, well, Paul was clearly uh, a, a very unique individual who received a very unique experience. And so we just listened to him. And so he was the head guy and he wrote half the New Testament. So clearly he's far more qualified than any of us are. And, and like you said, Michael, we're not trying to diminish anything Paul has done, uh, but rather maybe look at it from another outside of the, the bias that we already have, especially in our Western co- context and culture. I mean, what a lens that is. You know, how funny is that, that we, we, very forcefully put our Western Mm. American lens on and say, as we've already assessed, wow, he looks an awful lot like a CEO. He looks an awful lot like us. So if I want to achieve, if I want to be right and I want to conquer, but I want to do it in the name of Jesus, what better model do I have than Paul? I mean, who's killing it better than him? (laughs) Uh, He's getting it done, man. Man. Uh, but instead, you know, results driven metrics, they're there. (laughs) Uh, if we want to actually look then kind of with this same war analogy that I blame you, Michael, for bringing up, if, if he, if Paul, if we look at him like the tip of the spear, the lead attack instead, it's not that spear mentality, but it's more of the uh, balanced attack. It's from all sides. It's from many different fronts. Uh, and that the Holy Spirit then is going to utilize the gifts that he has given us to get his job done, to bring God glory, to unite all things in him, not just one awesome dude for all of us to sit on the sidelines, arms folded, and said, yep, we like him. Yeah, I, I mean, I 100% agree. I, I think, you know, in one sense, what we're talking about is really liberating the Apostle Paul from the Western leadership model. And um, you're free, Paul, you're free (laughs) as if we can do anything about that. Um, But really, I think you're, you're spot on, Matt, when you say that uh, we have constructed Paul in regards to our own leadership models. Mm. And I I get that. And I I think, uh, to be honest, I think there's allowance in terms of how leadership is structured, but I think we have to be very careful in how we do that and, and not go, uh, where scripture isn't taking us in, in terms of how that leadership looks. Uh, Michael, do you want to retitle that chapter on leadership, uh, liberating Paul from the Western? Yeah, right. Right. I might. Yeah. It was perfectly phrased. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a great idea. Hey, well, listen, let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, let's take a look at Ephesians 4, uh, 11 uh, and uh, 12, uh, because I think that uh, where Paul really has this uh, very declarative uh, piece, which he writes to the church of Ephesus about leaders and the types of leaders. And um, uh, and so let's, uh, let's discuss that on the other side of the break. How does that sound? Pardon the interruption. This is Andrew, and I want to point your attention to something we've been talking about. Go to ephesiology.com forward slash ephesiology dash laboratory. We want to have people join us in the lab. So if you're willing to do a little research and development to impact your community more for Jesus Christ, please contact us. We want to really encourage you and help you figure out the way 
that is going to be innovative, creative, and is going to reach others for Jesus. Look forward to talking to you. So before the break, we were just talking about Ephesians 4, chapter 11 and uh, chapter 4, verses 11 and uh, 12. And uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And he continues on uh, to until we all attain, uh, uh, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, and on and on and on he goes, right? Well, how does this, like this passage, I think is one of those critical ones. And actually we've had a lot of great interest in it over the last, I would say five or 10 years. Um, uh, other writers have written about this passage. Uh, there are now uh, tests or examinations in which people are asking it to what spiritual gift of leadership are you, or do you have? Um, how does this relate to, we talk about leadership and movements and Paul's writing about it here to the church in Ephesus. Michael. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here holding my tongue. Uh, Don't do that. Uh, this no, is your platform sorry, now. No. Go. Uh, do it. I, I, yeah. You know, here's the, here is one of the interesting things. Again, I, I mean, I get this and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of personality tests and, and uh, enagrams and um, sphere of influence types of things and disc Meyer Briggs and all these other things. Um, I find it interesting that we've taken these types of personality uh, indicators and we've put them now upon uh, our gifting. And so we can take a test to find out what our spiritual gift is. And I get that. I mean, we're absolutely uh, interested in how God has gifted us and how he might use us. Um, sometimes I wonder, though, is if we're more interested in that for ourselves than actually how God might use those to bring him glory. Mm. Um, uh, but saying that, you know, isn't it interesting that uh, we don't see any type of that profiling in the New Testament? Uh, and it wasn't foreign to them. They they knew about it. In fact, um, 600 years prior to the writing of the New Testament, we have... Uh, documented evidence of uh, the desire to know people's personalities, traits. Uh, Hippocrates and Galen are setting up these types of things to understand what motivates people. And so personality profiles and trying to understand who we are isn't something foreign to the New Testament or, or to Paul or, or the writers. Um, but but it's but what's interesting is is in the context of the New Testament, what we see is that it was the community of believers that identified other people's gifting. It wasn't me as an individual, and that's where we've gone with the spiritual gift profiles. You know, I can go online now and and uh, find a spiritual gift test, and I can take it, and and then I can say, oh, that's who I am. That's my gift. Well, unless that's identified in the context of the body of Christ, I would say that, well, probably not. It might be what you desire as mm -hmm. a gift, but if we're not seeing it manifested in the context of the body of Christ and in, in the context of our uh, missiologically uh, theocentric focus on uniting all things in, in, God's, in Christ, then, then maybe it's not uh, your spiritual gift. And so we... I think of uh, of uh, uh, of primary importance here is as we look at this particular list of gifts, 
that Paul lays out in in uh, first uh, first in Ephesians chapter four um, is to understand that they need to be understood in the context of a community. And so you look at, for example, Timothy, uh, when Paul writes to him in both first Timothy, as well as in second Timothy, he does uh, help us to identify uh, what Timothy's gifts are. But it's interesting because Paul says, you know, Timothy, when you came before the council of elders and there was a prophecy concerning you, uh, these are the gifts that God has given you. And so it's so important for us to understand how God has gifted us in the context of a community of believers that can witness it, uh, observe it, help to nurture it, and empower us to use those gifts. But that's scary. Oh, like, absolutely. Because what if, what if I'm not <laughs> gifted in the way that I thought I was? Well, the hilarious thing is like, you know, for the introvert to be told you have the gift of the evangelist, be like, well, you're a liar because mm -hmm. I hate talking to people. I hate being around people. I hate, you know, being around a lot of people drains me. You can't say that. I mean, that's what, that's kind of what I, what I mean to say that's scary is because, you know, what you're saying with this non-hierarchical leadership and and uh, leaning on the community, doing theology and community brings us to a place where we are actually trusting our brothers and sisters to hear from the Lord, mm -hmm. which already I would say, that's a whole other podcast. How do you hear from the Lord? <laughs> uh, that, that may not be covered uh, succinctly in Ephesians. So I think we're off the hook for Ephesiology. We'll let other people cover that. But um, I, I think trying to trust our brothers and sisters to, to listen to the Lord, to encourage us, and to say these are the ways that we see God moving in and through you. Uh, now it's not a matter, because here's the thing, I can, and I have, taken a lot of those personality tests. And uh, there was one particular one, uh, insights personality test, uh, I think I took, and I took it twice. And I took it twice within like six months. There was a reason, I'll spare you all the details. So I took it and I took it the second time and I had somebody who knew what they were talking about. And I was like, okay, I took this before it said this, I took it again. It's now saying something that's almost entirely opposite. And they said, oh, well you just, you messed with the test. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you weren't either honest with yourself or there were other things that were in your mind. Just like you said earlier, Michael, you were taking this test to who you wanted to be. And so you filled out these things. And so the results are all skewed. And yet we stand on our individual rugged mindset and say, if I take a test and it tells me, then I know who I am. I know what I'm doing and I can forge ahead and start doing what I think I should do. When in reality, us taking the tests is just as subject to subjectivity mm -hmm. as anything else. And now it's like, yeah, but maybe we should just lean on our brothers and sisters who have seen us do ministry, love others, and encourage us in the strengths that they see the Holy Spirit doing in and through us. Do you think that, um, and I, man, I've been guilty of taking a lot of these tests, <laughs> um, you know, spiritual gifts tests. I've taken the, um, you know, the APES test, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, you know, like find out like, or where do you fall in the category? Um, this is strength finders. Yeah, this is totally confession. I'm, you know, I'm guilty, guilty as charged on all these things. And it, it, I mean, it dawns on me in this conversation 
that, um, you know, I wonder how much of this is rooted in our secular age and way of thinking that, um, especially in our modern context, that uh, we, man, we, we have so much, we, tr we have troubles knowing ourselves and who we are, uh, rooting our identity uh, fully as a child of God. And uh, therefore, we start kind of doing a Da Vinci Code kind of moment on the Bible and saying there must be hidden codes here of who we are within the context. And we start reading into it and asking ourselves, there must be spiritual gifts. There must be personality tests. I mean, clearly Paul talks about gifts. Clearly he's talking about it. And actually that's one of my follow-up questions is I, I, I would like you, Michael, to explain who are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers that he's referring to. But, you know, just, just to continue on that conversation that we're just having, though, I'm, I'm sometimes wondering myself if we, we have this struggle to just fully identify, there's, like, I, to be a child of God is, not, is either insufficient or not enough in our secular age in thinking, even as Christians. And so that's why we, we find ourselves going into these, in, into this, uh, you know, into these places. Um, and even strangely enough, uh, one last thing is, Andrew, you were just kind of mentioning about the, the tests that you're taking. I actually presented our, our church with one of these tests and we were asking based on Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And I had them all take this test and I wasn't totally thrilled with how the test was done. But all I have to say is the majority, like 50% of the people came out as being apostles as a primary Whoa. gift. Yeah. Wow. Which, you know, it, it dawned on me that afterwards I thought, you know, that's a little shocking to me. And surprise, but then I, then I realized, wait a minute, they're all here, part of a new church plant and they're hearing from me who's constantly pushing us towards mission, pushing us towards looking to the nation's multiplication. And they've been receiving what I've been giving them over the last, you know, 12 months or so. And then we finally take this test and everyone, like half the room comes out as apostles or evangelists and they're like, I don't know what this even means, let alone how do, how do I fit this in? And I'm not sure if this even makes sense to me. And I go, ah, but how much of that is just you've, I've just been giving this to us and this is where we've been at in our, in our state. And how much is that? Is it change? You know, mm. it was a weakness at, at least what I figured. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I think so often we want to find this and we're just not content with being children of God. I wonder, um, yeah, well, there's so much here, Matt, to, to unpack. And I, I love that uh, story, that anecdote about what you did with your, uh, your group of disciples there. And, and I think what that is telling me is that, holy cow, you've done what Paul is talking about in um, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Uh, the, you, uh, who we have come to know as having an apostolic gift, had, you have equipped the saints from your giftedness, and that's being reflected in, you know, in their responses to uh, that spiritual gifts profile. And so I'm not surprised by that. In fact, I would say that well, that's wonderful. Now the the challenge then is what 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 do they do with it? Uh, does that really indicate that that's who they are in terms of how God has gifted them, um, or does it now tell them that oh, now that I've been equipped. Uh, with apostolic uh, um, attributes, if you will, or apostolic convictions, what do I do with that? Where do I go now? And that's the challenge then 
you have in uh, shepherding uh, that church to mm-hmm. multiply, you know, to go out and do the same. I mean, if you genuinely are this, this is what that means. Uh, and that's exciting. That's exciting. And I think, too, what it is telling us is that, you know, we don't have to be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd teacher to do the things of an apostle, an evangelist, a prophet, and a shepherd teacher. Um, because we're, if genuinely, we are being equipped by th- this leadership team, if you will, then we should naturally be d- doing those things. Uh, so, so why don't you take us there, Michael? Why don't you take us there? Because Paul's saying he, meaning Christ, has given us, right, these, uh, he's given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Um, and by the way, do you make a distinction between shepherd and teacher, or are they one? Um, and to equip this for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So take us there. Who are these people? Who are these individuals? And give us a, just an overdone, like just a brief overview of perhaps even their responsibilities if yeah. uh, and how they're dif- how they differentiate from one another good and, and of course we want to go to scripture to see uh the examples of this because paul you know it's interesting paul doesn't elaborate on well if you have the gift of apostle then this is what you do or if you have the gift of prophet this is what you do or there's no job description there aren't any job descriptions and isn't that interesting because in fact we'll see this as we get into first timothy 3 with uh the bishop or overseer and deacons there there aren't job descriptions there either um in fact paul seems to be much more concerned about a person's character than he is about what they actually do um but back to back to ephesians 4 11 and and 12. I I think an argument might be made here as well that Paul is much more concerned with the equipping of the saints than he is of the functions of these particular, particularly gifted people. That that being said, we can look at scripture and see uh, examples of those who were apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Um, so for apostles, of course, we would point to the Apostle Paul, but there are many others as well. Barnabas would fit into that. Uh, Timothy would fit into that. Th- these guys who and gals who were with the Apostle and uh, doing ministry in Ephesus and other places. What about fact, the, the original 12 as well? We would c- consider that as well? Peter, yeah, John? Yeah, to some extent. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jesus himself calls them to be apostles, um, Mm -hmm. and they're referred to as apostles. The word uh, apostle just simply means one who is sent. And uh, in in the context of the New Testament, uh, we have in mind it is one who is sent with a message to proclaim. And what we see as a result of that proclamation is the making of disciples and ultimately uh, resulting in the congregating of those disciples in churches. I, you know, in light of our last podcast, I, I would not suggest that an apostle is, is a modern day church planter. I, I think an apostle is one who is sent with a special ability to be able to communicate God's word in a way that uh, is understood and is able to transverse cultures to do that. And that's what we see with the Apostle Paul. And, you know, with these other folks too, Timothy, Barnabas, Hmm. you know, these guys are all crossing cultures. You think of Peter and John crossing into Samaria, uh, Philip perhaps as well into Samaria. I think Uh, we often think of the evangelists as being that individual. 
at the individual who's crossing into culture. Yeah, I, you just you made the distinction by saying the the apostle would be the one who can communi- who communicates God's word cross culturally, and I see where you're going with it. But I just just for the our viewer or just for the listener, I'm I'm thinking to myself, oh, I usually think that that's the evangelist's job. Yeah, I think the evangelist is that person who has a, the special ability to actually deliver that message in a way that is going to result in people coming to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'd make that distinction. An evangelist it might come out of the culture, uh, and they might stay in that culture. They might not cross into another culture. But it's that evangelist is a person who has an ability to communicate God's word um, in, in such a way that people respond uh, to the gospel. So two questions. One, when again, I think we've I think we've touched on it, but you, we are making a distinction right now between what is commonly referred to as the office of apostle and the gifting of the apostle. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, I, I I mean I look at these as uh, being gifts that are given. Uh, for the building up of the body, uh, not necessarily offices. So specifically when we refer to the 12 apostles, that's a bit more along the lines of the office of apostle for those ones. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it, when we th- think of uh, those 12 original apostles, well, eliminate uh, Judas, of course, you have 11, and then with the incorporation of uh, uh, Matthias, you have 12. But uh, those, I think, had a special place in terms of uh, what Jesus was doing to initiate that movement in in uh, the early parts of the book of Acts. Um, and, of course, it's on that foundation, and we read this in uh, Ephesians 2.20, it's on the foundation of uh, those apostles and prophets, with Jesus being the cornerstone, that he is building uh, his body. And uh, so I think there was a special role for those people to establish uh, the, the church. And, so uh, mm-hmm. I, I was going to actually ask a follow-up question to that, only because I think we can often get to this, we get to this junction, we get to this passage, and, and suddenly it raises all sorts of other questions. And again, we've kind of got these confirmation biases that we try to find it within it. So we got to be careful of that. But I... It, you know, Andrew, you bring up the great question because we often hear about apostles as the office of, and then we now are talking about it in regards to gift. Um, and now, like we get to Ephesians 4, and the question is, is Paul speaking of this in past tense, it, that he, God, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds just in the same way that he said in uh, that this is built on the backs of and on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Is he still talking about, the, is it, the same thing or is this something new is this a continuation of i think is is actually a helpful exegesis for us to do as we continue to talk about the leadership of a movement yeah absolutely i think i i don't think that it's a continuation of these apostles uh prophets that we see in ephesians 2 20 i think mm-hmm. and, and i wouldn't necessarily say that it's something new i think god has been gifting people in this way from uh, the, the beginning, and so here we're we're uh, more than twenty years into uh, the, the New Testament movement, and and so I think it's a it, it is something that continues even to our day. And the reason why I say that is that the purpose of these uh, gifted people 
are or is to equip the saints uh, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, the last time I checked, we're not there yet. Uh, we're not as unified as we might think. And so I think God still uses these people to achieve his purpose of this unity. Mm. Mm. That's good. So keep going on. Apostles, uh, prophets? Yeah, prophets is a, is a sticky one, isn't it? Uh, because we have in our minds the Old Testament prophets. And uh, oftentimes, and then we have, you know, these New Testament examples like in Agabus that we referred to earlier and uh, Ananias uh, uh, to some extent as well that are foretelling the future. Um, you know, you think of Agabus coming to Paul and, and taking his belt and tying his hands and saying, you know, the person who owns his belt is going to be captured. And uh, it, that was a prophetic uh, ministry. And of course, um, it's, it, it gets a little bit more sticky as we get into uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 about the role of the prophet and, you know, speaking in tongues and all of these other things. And, uh, but I think that if we were to uh, look at the, in totality the role of the prophet and what he or she did, it seems clear that this was a person, not necessarily with some special foreknowledge of what God might do, but a person who could foretell uh, from God's word uh, the consequences of what might happen uh, in a particular context. And, um, and so it's not so much foretelling as much as it is forthtelling uh, from the word of God um, in helping the church stay on track. Hmm. But still in all graciousness to you, my friend, Michael, <laughs> that's still what we think, right? Because scripture is kind of quiet on that front. It, uh, it is quiet. You know, to some extent it is quiet and in the places where it does speak, um, it, it causes a lot of controversy. I mean, do we still, uh, think that there are prophetic utterances um, that can occur. And there are many who would say, well, yeah, God spoke to me. And, um, or if somebody will come up to somebody else and say, well, I have a, I have a word for you from the I Lord have a word for you, brother. Yeah. And so it, it does become a little uh, sticky in uh, how we understand what that prophetic role is. And then, I mean, you think of um in Timothy's case, you know, it's the council of elders that come together and through a prophecy, he understands uh, his gifting. And so is that, you know, is that a foretelling of what Timothy was to do or, or a confirmation of a foretelling that Timothy, this is who you are. This is who we've seen you to be, how God has made you. And now we are telling you prophetically go and do this kind of ministry. Um, so there are those kinds of things, I think, as well. But I do think that the common thread that we see through uh, the, the, the prophetic gifting is that it is pointing people to, uh, to use what it is that God has gifted them with for his glory. That's and, right. I think that's super important as we're talking about this, that not not one single gift of this is to be about the individual who has been given this gift, 
to bring themselves glory or to stand out or to look like uh, the premier Christian, but in fact is solely a means to reach the end of glorifying God and uniting all things unto himself, that we bring people to faith. And that's why we have whatever gift we have is because the Holy Spirit does want us to actually have a purpose and be used for his glory. Yeah, absolutely. So we got a uh, question in from uh, one of our listeners, uh, Brian from Maryland. And this, I'm going to interject this right here uh, because this is a perfect time for it. Uh, Brian just recently sent this in to us. It's perfect timing, Brian. I'm so glad you're listening. Um, and uh, we're grateful that you uh, sent in a couple of questions for us. And we want to get to one of them right now because I think it actually, this just plays right into this conversation that we already had planned on. And Brian asks this, how do you differentiate between the role of evangelist and the gift of evangelism? And do you feel that we're all called to evangelism or just some? So here we are, Paul saying, uh, God, he, Christ has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Um, how does that play into here? And how, Brian I'm, is asking a great question, uh, Michael, that I think many of us also are asking. How do we differentiate between the role of evangelist and the gift of evangelism? Yeah, that, yeah, it is a Michael. great question. Yeah, right. Why do you guys always ask me these questions? You take it. <laughs> you are the resident <laughs> physiologist. <laughs> yeah, well, here, let's stick to the text here. And uh, what we see is that there is this person who is an evangelist. And as I uh, mentioned before, that the role of that evangelist is somebody who can declare uh, the gospel message in such a way that people understand it and, and respond to that message. And, um, but what's interesting in Brian's question is something that is often um, uh, thought of in regards to uh, the gift of evangelism. And, um, and we were talking a bit about this offline. Um, but as I look at scripture, I, I, honestly, I don't see the gift of evangelism there. Um, evangelism was certainly done, but I don't see that there was a special gift that, that somebody was given to do evangelist. There is a special gift that uh, people are given to be an evangelist, but that doesn't necessarily uh, correspond to the gift of evangelism. You might be accused of splitting hairs. So what do you, what do you mean then by saying, I don't see anything about the gift of evangelism but I do see the gift of the evangelist. How is that, how is that different? Yeah, well, I, when I think of the gift of evangelist, I'm thinking of a specific person that God has equipped um, to be an evangelist, to make those proper, uh, proclamation, to make that proclamation of the gospel. Um, if we were to talk of the gift of evangelism, then what, what that would indicate is that God has especially gifted people to do evangelism. And I'm not so certain that that's the case. And this is why I say that, because uh, we are all responsible to do evangelism. If we're to say that there are special people that are gifted to do evangelism, then what that means is that uh, I can be relieved of my my responsibility of evangelism because I'm not gifted in that way. And so um, uh, instead, I think the responsibility to help equip us to do evangelism is that of the evangelist. And we're all to be equipped to do evangelism, not not special people, 
but each and every one of us. And that's a part of what Paul is getting at when we, for example, we're talking about God's will. Um, it is uh, our responsibility to participate with God in uniting all things in Christ. And that is done through the proclamation of the gospel. And so it would be the evangelist, I, I suppose, is kind of that, that individual that really challenges the rest of the community, that particular individual or individuals uh, who seem to kind of have this particular uh, bend, desire, excitement for, and even perhaps a unique gift or skill, uh, perhaps, that they are just exceptional in this, that challenges the rest of us to evangelize rather than we disavow ourselves from the actual role in the task. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, that's what I would say. And, you know, I'm, I'm often accused of being in, uh, of having the gift of evangelism and I can assure our listeners, I do not, I, you know, I am naturally introverted. Um, uh, I'm not always looking to, uh, to communicate with other people. Uh, and, uh, and often, uh, but often I'm put in situations where I do communicate with others and, and not out of a gifting of evangelism, but out of a, a deep sense of responsibility that God wants us as his adopted children to be about his work of making him known so that more and more people will worship him. And so it comes out of a sense of responsibility more than it comes out of a sense of gifting. Would you say, say then, if I were to say, taking what Matt said and kind of reflecting on what you're saying, um, then an evangelist in the context of the giftings that he has given to the leaders in the church is kind of like the gospel encourager. Like it is, it is the, the person who is literally going to be the, the sounding bell. Hey, we need to be about taking the gospel to people. We need to be about taking this good news to people who don't yet know. Um, would you say that is kind of a... a modern day Andrew version of translation. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a person that's championing um, the preparation of the saints to do that work. And uh, they're working with people to help encourage them, come alongside of them, going with them to do uh, the, the work of evangelism. So uh, in our few minutes remaining, uh, let's talk briefly about shepherds and teachers, Michael. Let's do. Um, and so you had asked the question earlier, do, do I look at that as being a single individual or, or are there two different roles there? Um, personally, you know, when I look at the Greek text here, there's a, it's interesting because there's a, um, a, a definite article uh, that's attached to the shepherd uh, and it's joined with a conjunction that uh, leads us to the teacher, which indicates that this person who is called a shepherd is also a teacher. Now, I know there are others who would say, well, no, they're two distinct roles. There's a person who's a shepherd and there's a person who's a, a teacher. And I, I, I think scripture might allow for that. Um, I don't particularly uh, hold to that necessarily because I do think that in other places it's clear that there are people who are especially gifted as a teacher that might not be a shepherd. And so I think that this person, um, this shepherd teacher is somebody that has a special ability to come alongside of people, uh, care for them, uh, shepherd them in their walks with the Lord, um, but also teach them from the word of God. 
what it is to be a disciple and how to equip others to be disciples as well. Now, here's the interesting uh, issue then that this brings up is, uh, is that person our modern day pastor? And, um, and I, this is going to be a, one of those challenging topics for us to discuss on the next episode uh, on the next <laughs> yeah good on the next episode um yeah I, uh, and i might just leave it there i and, think we should because i think the question that I, that so this is well a teaser i think one topic that we should really cover is now looking at this list uh this apest list what have we in the american church raised as the most valuable or the most, I, I do actually mean it this way, profitable um, leader to put in front so that we can chase after because they have a certain gift set or uh, proclivity in their leadership. And then how have we absolutely shot ourselves in the feet? Every opportunity we have gotten in being so short-sighted as to only be led by one or two types of gift sets and neglecting what the Holy Spirit has clearly given as, like I said earlier, a multifaceted, uh, multi-fronted attack uh, for the good of his name. Um, I think it's going to take a bit more time than we have today. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, th this is, and as we just kind of realized, of course, we know that we're only just scratching the surface of this leadership conversation. And how do we uh, see the leadership of the early Christian movement? And now we discuss also what its implications are for us today. And and I think this is a really great conversation and a really healthy one that I know that I'm benefiting from. And um, I hope our listeners are benefiting from as well, too. Uh, we have so many. I've got more questions to ask. I've got more things I'm thinking about. So stay tuned for part two. Uh, we'll bring that hopefully to you guys next week uh, for our listeners. And uh, we just want to encourage our listeners who, who are uh, along on this journey with us, doing theology together with us in community. Uh, we want to continue to ask you to be part of this community and continue to dialogue with us. Uh, just like Brian and Brian from Maryland, thank you again for uh, sending us your question. Uh, you can submit questions uh, to us. Uh, online at ephesiology.com or you can even just send them to us even through uh, Facebook and through Facebook Messenger and um, man we'd even love to if we've got enough of these things we'd even love to do like a Q&A uh, podcast uh, just one whole episode just with your question and answers and so uh, if we get enough of them over in the next few weeks we'd love to tackle a number of them if, as we're able otherwise we'll just kind of popcorn them in as we discuss and as we bring them about and as they come up as well in our discussions and as we continue to dialogue with these together because the more we hear from you the more we know what you're uh, interested in, what you're learning about, and uh, we have an opportunity to know if we're even resonating with uh, not only just you, but also amongst each other. And man, we want to learn from you too. We want to hear what you're uh, struggling with and what you're dialoguing with and you're, you, as you're talking about this in your church context. Um, and uh, be sure to share this podcast with others. Uh, share it with other church leaders that you're networked with in your community. Share this with uh, your church leaders, uh, even within the leadership context of your church. Heck, share it with your congregation. <laughs> share it with your small group. Um, have them wrestle through these things. Uh, they, this is not above anyone. Uh, if, the, if anyone who is a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, we want them to be part of this conversation as well and to be discussing these things and thinking about them with us 
And we'd love to be hearing from you. So um, be sure to uh, send us and communicate with us uh, through Facebook and through our website. Join our online community. Uh, we really want to hear from you and, uh, and engage with you on these things. So it's just not uh, uh, three white dudes uh, sitting around on a microphone talking about a bunch of ideas and throwing, throwing some spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, we uh, we, we want to be doing this together in the context of community. So we invite you to be a part of that. And uh, so uh, with that, uh, I hope that you've uh, really been inviting and enjoying this conversation with us as we are talking about leadership uh, in the context of the church and the community. So uh, for uh, Michael, Andrew, and myself, uh, we're thankful uh, that you have joined us uh, this week, and we will catch you next time on the Ephesiology Podcast. <laughs>